Listening to sermons as we go about our days, driving around or doing our work, is a perfect reminder of our Lord's promises and of His mercies. This is the mission of Upper Room Media. To make the Word of God accessible to anybody and everybody. In the name of the Father, and Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today, we discover the meaning of conviction. After this miracle, whenever Christ tells Peter to go out and go into the deep and to let down his net, obviously they catch a great number of fish. And Peter is totally convicted by this miracle. What happened totally convicted Peter. And that's why he responds and says, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Right? And so, for Peter, this was a critical moment in his life because this sense of conviction is what prompted his repentance. Right? If we want to be Christians, if we want to be disciples like Peter, if we want to follow in his footsteps, expect that God will convict us. If we want to be Christians, expect that God will convict us. Just like if you want to be an athlete, expect that you're going to go through the training. There are going to be struggles, some bitter moments. Right? And th- that's essentially what refines us. Right? The church is always convicting us with the reality of our weaknesses and our sinfulness. Right? Because we live in a fallen world, right? and we all have our mistakes, we all have our weaknesses, we all have our sins. And the church is constantly reminding us that we're in need of repentance. And this is one of the most evident messages that you see whenever you walk into church during Holy Week, right? One of the the first passages that we read in Holy Week is from the beginning of Isaiah. Whenever God is telling His people that the ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not consider. He's telling them, the ox even knows its owner and the donkey its master. But Israel is not even up to that standard. (laughs) When I hear words like that, do I recognize that they pertain to me? Or do I say, ah, that's not me, I'm fine. (laughs) Do I just kind of brush over these words? How do I receive these words? Or do I get offended by them? I get offended because they kind of probe at my conscience. One reason why many of us appreciate close friends in our life It's because they tell it to us how it is, right? You know that really good friend that can be totally raw with you, right? Doesn't need to beat around the bush. He can tell you, like, yo, Abuna, like, what you did yesterday was totally wrong. That wasn't right. And I appreciate that. Like, we have those friends that can convict us, right? And we don't get defensive. We don't just play the pity card, right? But we appreciate those friends. And the church is like that good friend. Right? God sends us these messages through the people around us. In Proverbs 27, 6, the scriptures tell us, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Right? So I have to ask myself if I accept God's criticism. Do I accept God's criticism? Do I accept His rebuke? Do I need every criticism to come to me on a silver platter? Or do I just take it? Right? Do I let God convict me? Now, God rebukes us because He loves us, because He wants to refine us. His chastisement is 
because of his love for us. His Holiness Pope Shenouda III says, And you, O oh dear reader, are you aware that perhaps the person who rebukes you about your sin was sent to you by God's grace to lead you to repentance? If you refuse him and his reprimand, as harsh as it may be, then you are refusing God's grace, which works within you. As a result, you do not benefit from the visitation of grace. The visitation of grace is not restricted to superior methods, such as hearing the voice of God, the voice of a prophet, or dreams or revelations. The matter can be much simpler than this. Right? So the voice of God isn't just limited to what you hear in a sermon, or what you read in the scriptures. But oftentimes, God sends us people to rebuke us. God sends us people to criticize us. God sends us people to challenge us. And how we respond to that will determine whether we walk towards God or that becomes a pitfall for us. In John 3.20, Christ is speaking to Nicodemus and he says, Everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Right? And so often our pride prevents us from seeing the light. Why? Because we don't want our deeds to be exposed. Right? And so, yes, we shouldn't be too hard on ourselves. We shouldn't be too critical on ourselves. But if we want to repent, if we want to purify our heart, then we should allow that light to shine in our hearts to expose those dark areas. Right? And so, oftentimes, even whenever we're so critical about what we're doing, and we're extremely hard on ourselves is because we're too prideful to acknowledge that we're all weak and I expect nothing more from myself than just to stumble along the way right and so it's the proud that's too critical right it's the proud who are too critical they're burdened by this this guilt because they can't accept their imperfections and if I'm walking in humility, I accept my weaknesses, I accept my imperfections, and I'm not constantly drilling myself, I'm not constantly burdening myself with all the shame and the guilt that God doesn't want me to have. Right? And so God sends criticism in our way not to shame us or to make us feel guilty. Like this event that convicted Peter and certainly made him feel ashamed and embarrassed because he felt like so lousy. He felt like he had zero faith. And of course that made him feel ashamed. But God doesn't want us to live in that shame. He wants that shame to prompt us to repentance. Father Anthony Kinnear says, one of man's greatest problems today is guilt. It could take a man to the border of insanity and far beyond. It can lead to physical ailments of all kinds. It can produce an anguish far more distressing than physical pain. It can fashion sleepless nights and cheerless days without end. Guilt is one of man's greatest tormentors. God's answer to guilt is to be found in tears, the tears of repentance. Though, unfortunately today, we've become like this shame and guilt-averse society. Right? Anything that makes me feel guilty is evil. 
right? No, don't make me feel bad. Like, that's messed up. How dare you? Right? That's because I think some of us have been traumatized by all the guilt and the shame in our childhood. Right? And then every little thing we do, someone makes us feel guilty about it. Someone makes us feel embarrassed about it. And so we went to the opposite extreme where we can't even bear any criticism and, and that sense of guilt because we've pushed it to an extreme. But there's a healthy balance. There's a balance where the guilt and the shame comes in a little dose that prompts my repentance. Right? And so shame is not always bad. As a matter of fact, when someone steps out of line and they're totally cold, they don't care, we look at that person and we say, have you no shame? Right? We, we say that's almost inhumane to, to feel no shame for the mistakes that you commit. Right? To, to feel no shame for offending people. Right? If you offend someone and you walk away with your head held up high and you don't care, and you look at a person like that and you say, have you no shame? You just totally hurt this person. Right? So shame is good. And when we lack that shame, we lack a part of our humanity. But again, God doesn't want us to live in that shame. He doesn't want us to live with that guilt because that will cripple us. But there's a healthy dose. There's a healthy dose which prompts our repentance, just like Peter here, when he says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Right? What did that the weight of that guilt and shame do for Peter? It prompted his repentance, and that's what it should do for us too. St. John Chrysostom says, Be ashamed when you sin, not when you repent. Be ashamed when you sin, not when you repent. When you rise up again and return to God, there is no shame in that. But when we fall, that shame should convict us. We should be ashamed when we sin. St. John Chrysostom spoke to the people about their looseness in observing the sacraments, particularly the Eucharist. And so he would criticize them. He would rebuke them for their lukewarmness. And so when he would criticize them, people would get offended. Like, you're making us feel ashamed. You're making us feel guilty. And this is how he responded to their response to his criticism. He says, if I could leave, I would have left your community out of devastation. He was devastated because they couldn't take any criticism from him. If I rebuke one of you, he disregards my words and resents my reprimand as if I were unfair to him. I'm amazed that you do not get angry at those who violate you and plunder your possessions as much as you're angry at me, I who am keen over your salvation. The moment I criticize one of you, you, he disregards my words and resents my reprimand. And so he's saying, whenever someone steals one of your possessions, right, you're not offended as much as that as you are whenever someone rebukes you. Right? And so we have to ask ourselves, if we're accepting God's rebuke, do we accept the conviction that God sends our way? Right? Do we allow the weight of that guilt and the shame that we feel from the 
the laziness in our life and the pride in our life to prompt us to repent. Again, God doesn't want us to live in that guilt and that shame. But the emotion is healthy if it leads to repentance. Remember in 1 Corinthians, whenever St. Paul is writing to the people in Corinth, he definitely made them feel bad. (laughs) Because they were living a loose life. And so they complained about all the criticism. Like, your words are heavy, like, why are you so tough on us? Why are you rebuking us? This is how he responded to them in the second letter whenever they felt so bad. He says, even if I made you sorry with my letter, I don't regret it. Even if I made you sorry with my letter, I don't regret it. And then a little bit later he says, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, which is not to be regretted. But the sorrows of this world produces death. I'm glad you felt bad. Why? So the weight of feeling bad could lead you to repentance. And that's what leads to salvation. And there's nothing to be regretted about that. How often do we stumble? How often do we stray from the path? And God rebukes us and we don't feel bad. Like, I'm fine, I'm cool. You know, I'm not going around killing anyone. And so we've departed from this healthy path of repentance. Again, God's intentions are not to cripple us with that guilt and that shame. He wants us to live in joy. He wants us to live in peace. He wants us to enjoy the salvation that He's giving us, but also to allow that guilt and the shame to convict us, so that by that conviction, we're transformed. Everything depends on our receptivity. If we are receptive to God's rebuke, then whatever guilt or shame that we feel from that will be a source of enjoyment. We will rejoice when that criticism leads us to improvement. Right? But if we receive it with pride, the moment our conscience convicts us and we feel any guilt or shame, we get defensive, we get resentful, we get bitter. Right? So it depends on us and our receptivity. I remember the first liturgy that we prayed here, whenever His Eminence Metropolitan Srapion came and prayed with us, we had a lot of background noise in the liturgy, right? You guys remember that? And then he put it lightly at the end of the liturgy, he said, you know, there was a lot of background music, we just want to you know, keep it under control. It was a nice message. Just said, trying to keep the church organized and peaceful. I remember right after that, two different people commented on what Ambasrapian said. And they were the exact opposite comments. One person offended by what he said. One person totally loved it. Like, that was beautiful. You know, I loved the way that he put it. Other person like, I can't believe he said that, you know. And so I experience these incidences, these uh, situations, and I think to myself, it's all dependent on our condition, how we receive the criticism. And by the way, I've had many of those personally too, from (laughs) from what I've said in the past. In St. Augustine's Confessions, he talks about this love-hate relationship with the light, with the truth. 
He says, people love truth when it shines on them and hate it when it rebukes them. Isn't that the truth? That people love it when it shines on them, but hate it when it rebukes them. If we're receptive, even the harshest criticism can be a source of edification. Even the harshest criticism can benefit us, can purify us, can refine us. Remember the story when the Canaanite women went to Christ. And she goes down to worship him. She says, my daughter is demon-possessed. And the disciples see this stranger, this outcast, this Gentile, and they're like, get rid of this lady. Right? She doesn't belong here. And Christ says, you know, I wasn't sent except for the lost sheep of Israel. And then, finally, she speaks to him. And she says, help me. How does Christ respond to her? It's kind of like he gives her a slap in the face. He says, it's not good to take the little children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. You're expecting to take bread from the table, from children, just as a little dog. (laughs) That's a pretty rough thing to say. How did she respond to that? I thought you were the kind, gentle teacher that people talk about. I thought you were supposed to help. You know, who says that? You know how she responded? She said, yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Yes, I'm, I'm no better than a little dog. Sure. But even the dogs eat the crumbs from the to- that fall from the table. At least allow me to take some crumbs. How beautiful is that? She didn't get bitter and resentful. She didn't get defensive. She humbled herself. She accepted the rebuke. And he, Christ responded and said, Great is your faith. Let it be according to your desire. And she walked away. And at that very moment, at that very hour, her daughter was healed. I wish I was like this woman. I wish I was like this woman. Do we take criticism and rebuke like the saints? Do we have the sensitivity of the saints? Remember whenever... St. Arsenius was eating at the table. He came from a royal family, and he was rich, and he had all the luxuries and delicacies to eat. And, you know, his elder saw that he was always taking the best beans, and then he told one of the other monks, whenever we sit at the table to eat, I'm going to smack you, just ignore it. As soon as you take one of the the beans, I'm going to smack you. So, just so you know, I'm giving you a heads up. (laughs) Just ignore it. So go sit down. The other monk takes one of the beans. The elder smacks him. Saint Arsenius sees this. How does he perceive that? He turns to his elder and he says, Forgive me, Father. This slap was intended for me. He knew that rebuke that he witnessed towards his brother was actually intended for him. That's how sensitive he was. He took it. He accepted it. And because he took it, he became one of the greatest saints. Are we selective about who rebukes us? You know, if Jesus comes and tells me, you know, yo, you're out of line, I'll take it. Or maybe Abuna, I'll take it. But like some other stranger, like a family member, I don't know why we can't take criticism from family, but that's a big one. Or just some random people, like... Do we just allow God to send criticism from whatever source He pleases? 
Or are we selective? Remember St. Anthony, who's criticized by a random woman bathing in the river. And as he walked through the desert and he says, like, what are you doing bathing in there monks nearby? And she says, if you were a real monk, you wouldn't be straying so far from the desert. And she said that to the great St. Anthony. How did he take it? He accepted it. He took it as a message from God and he went deeper into the desert. He took criticism from a random stranger. St. Bimiana's father, who turned away from the faith and later encountered his daughter and she saw that he rejected their savior. You know what she told him? You're not my father. Do not consider me your daughter from this point on. Imagine how much that would have hurt for a father to hear his daughter tell him, you're not my father. How did he take it? He accepted the rebuke, he accepted the criticism and repented and became a martyr. David, when he was criticized by Nathaniel, remember this analogy that he mentions about the rich man that stole the poor man's little lamb. And David is outraged by this little parable. Like how could this rich man steal this poor man's little lamb? That's all he had. And David says, you are that man. You're that despicable man that frustrated you. How did David take that? He repented. He accepted it. Do we accept criticism? Do we accept rebuke? Or do I need it on a silver platter from one specific person at the right time of the day, whenever the weather is perfect? And then maybe I'll think about taking some criticism from someone. Psalm 141 says, Let the righteous strike me, it shall be kindness. And let him rebuke me, it shall be as excellent oil. And let my head not refuse it. This is how David understood the rebuke that he received from God. As precious oil. Not only did the saints not reject the criticism that God gave them, but they even desired it. Not only did they not reject it, but they even desired it. St. John Constant says, If you truly wish to be humble, then long to be in every way offended and persecuted as a hungry man longs for food. Do we long for the criticism that God wants to send us so that we can improve, so that we can live a more faithful life, so that we can be better? Remember how... St. Pope Krillus' life concluded. And this just gives me chills when every time we think about it. The man, the, the amazing saint that he was, received countless letters from people. People thanking him, people praising him, and people criticizing him. Tons of different letters. And of course, he did countless miracles. So, of course, he got tons of complimentary letters. When he died and they went in his room and they were looking through the drawers, you know what they found in his room? The only letters that he kept were the letters of criticism. 
That's why St. Pope Carolus was St. Pope Carolus. That's what he valued. That's because of his humility. All he cared about is asking God, reveal to me the weaknesses that I have. If we had this humility, we would walk in his footsteps. Because he valued the conviction that comes from God. All he kept were the insults and the criticism and the hate mail. Or do we receive one criticism, one rebuke? We get defensive and we want to throw it away. Let's ask ourselves if we're walking in the footsteps of the saints. None of the saints played the pity card. The amount of harassment that St. Pope Carolus received throughout his papacy was absurd. Truly absurd, truly unjustified. All the criticism was not even fair. None of it was fair. He didn't deserve any of it. But he valued it because these letters convicted him. St. Pachumius says, He who insults you and rebukes you acts as the purifying medicine of Jesus. If you can't tolerate this medicine, you do yourself injustice. As for that brother who rebukes you, you know, the one who rebukes you or criticizes you, he did not do you any harm. This pain that has been manifested in you is indicative of your weakness. Otherwise, you wouldn't have suffered from taking this medicine. Therefore, you should give credit to the brother who rebukes you because through him, you came to know your deadly disease. The one who rebukes you does a favor for you. And if you're offended by it, then there's even more reason to appreciate that because it just revealed to you the lack of humility to receive it. Otherwise, you wouldn't have been so resentful towards it. If we lived with that humility to accept the rebuke and the criticism, not to get defensive, not to let the weight of shame and guilt cripple us, then all of our families would live in peace. You wouldn't see broken marriages. You wouldn't see broken relationships. You wouldn't see broken friendships. Our church would be whole. Because that, that's the humility that binds us. Let's leave you with this story. During COVID, you know that we had registration and we would close the doors and only a, like a few people that registered would come in, right? And then after a certain time, we would close the doors just to keep the church safe. So I remember one person that was registered didn't make it to the liturgy. And uh, I was really upset, you know, like only a few people can attend every Sunday. And I was worried about the person, so I, I was just like thinking about what happened. And as soon as I left church, I get a text from this person. Abuna, I came to church and the doors were closed. So I'm thinking of myself like, shoot. <laughs> I'm sure this person is not happy. So like I say a little prayer and I call, I'm ready to put out a fire. Right, like, how can the church's doors be closed? I drove, this is the only liturgy that I can attend uh, once a month, and this and that. I'm, I'm bracing myself, right? So I call, and the person responds, You know what, Abuna, that really hurt. 
that really hurt that I came to church and the doors were shut in my face. And I just like, it was like a moment of piercing silence. <laughs> I didn't know what to say. And this person tells me, but you know what? I needed that. I needed that because I've been taking church lightly. I knew this was a message from God for me to get a little bit more serious. <laughs> that floored me. I was okay, I didn't see that coming. Well, I'm glad you took it that way. And that's how we should take every situation. Right? That person felt ashamed, felt guilty, felt embarrassed. But how did that person respond once they were convicted by that guilt and the shame? They repented. They were actually glad that God sent this bitter pill to swallow. St. Paisius says, So in every trial, let us say, Thank you, my God, because this was needed for my salvation. Thank you, my God, because this was needed for my salvation. May we walk in the footsteps of these great saints to thank God for every situation, for every rebuke, every criticism, to repent whenever we're convicted by the shame and the guilt that God sends us, that His name may be glorified forever. Amen. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.